The Lifestyle Show on RTE Radio 1 Extra. Happy International Women's Day, everyone. So... Today we are in a very celebratory mood here in the Little Museum of Dublin and um, besides St. Stephen's Green in the heart of Dublin and it is a very special year. We're celebrating 100 years of the vote for women. As you can hear, we are joined by a fantastic audience of women and some men. You're all very welcome. Thank you for coming. And we have some wonderful women to introduce you to. And we'll get straight to it and introduce you to our first guest. She's a lady who witnesses a very different side of Ireland, uh, one that many of us are not familiar in, with. She supports women who live in constant fear and often in pain. These women are victims of domestic abuse. Our guest and her team have dedicated their working lives to protecting these women, supporting them, and sometimes even saving their lives. Please welcome the Director of Women's Aid Ireland, Margaret Martin. So, Margaret, we wanted to speak to you today because you represent a lot of Irish women who suffer in silence. Absolutely. And whose voices are not always heard in public. Tell us about the women you help out in Women's Aid. Who are they? Well, um, I think the most surprising thing a lot of the time is that we're really talking about every woman from 18 to 80, um, from all backgrounds, from all the ethnic groups, from all education groups, from all professions. If you step out in the street and you watch 20 women go by, they're probably as representative as the women who call us on the telephone. Um, and we've been around for a long time, so we, we get a lot of feedback from women as well. Yeah, we hear from women that maybe have moved on a long time, which is really good because I think part of the work that we do is, as you were saying, we're helping women in the moment, but then also passing on those messages from women who have moved on, whose lives are much better because it can be a dark place. There's many different types of abuse that some of us may not be aware of. Can you tell us about them? Well, what we would hear on our, on our free phone helpline is we'd hear a lot of women who want to talk about emotional abuse. Um, I think people understand physical abuse much more easily than emotional abuse. We hear women talking very much about financial abuse and also about sexual abuse. Less so about sexual abuse. I think it's a, a topic that's very difficult to talk about. And um, there's so much shame and stigma surrounding domestic violence, but particularly surrounding domestic violence. I think it's really good now that there is more women coming out and talking about all of the different types of sexual harassment and sexual abuse and rape that is happening because it is so prevalent and we really have to bring it out into the open and talk about it for all of our sakes um, so we, we're that's the area that we work in what type as harrowing as it is to listen to what type of figures are we talking about well what we're talking about is we would get about 44 calls a day um, so we, in 2017 we got about 19,000 calls Gosh. Um, and <clears throat> what we would get is the biggest disclosures would be in terms of emotional abuse. I think even for women who are being abused physically, there is something about actually being able to see the scars and understand it and see some sort of healing. Whereas for an awful lot of women, what they would talk about is the emotional abuse and the scars inside and how difficult it is really 
for them to understand that sometimes the deep distress and the deep emotional distress that women feel. So sometimes when women will ring our helpline, um, even though they maybe have worked up to making that call, when they actually get through to us, sometimes they can't even speak. So a lot of the calls will be silent calls. Um, and are, you know, I suppose one of the things maybe to say as well about the helpline is the people who are responding, the women who are responding on the helpline, they're a mix of volunteers and staff. They undergo a very intensive training to understand the issue, to be able to listen really well. And even if somebody can't speak, we're there to listen. So sometimes if a woman it rings, she may start being very distressed, she may be crying or whatever. That, that you know, we would, we would ask, you know, we would just say to her, you're through to women's aid, it's, it's okay if you're not ready to talk. Um, if you want me to stay on the line, just tap the phone. So we'd stay on for a couple of minutes and, and then we might just say, look, maybe it would be a good idea to ring us later, maybe just, you know, take a bit of time, have a cup of tea. Because it can be very difficult. I think those first times that you talk about something as well, it's very distressing. And it can be very difficult and very tiring. And at the end of a call, we would very often say to a woman, look, try and do something nice for yourself today. You know, just maybe take a walk, go for, do something, have a bath, whatever it is that helps just restore, you know, actually yourself and start to build back yourself after sometimes going back into a place that was very dark and distressing. And of course, dark and distressing are the two words that come to mind when you picture yeah. a woman sitting there so traumatized that all it takes all her strength to tap a phone to indicate, please yeah. keep talking to me. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's amazing the work yeah. that you're doing to help yeah. people in that situation, Margaret. And I think the the I suppose one of the things that we see a lot of is when women do talk about the abuse they experience is a, a very common tactic is how an abusive partner just erodes all of the connections a woman will have with her colleagues, with her friends, with her family. So it can be an, an even more lonely place than it would have been maybe a couple of years ago. And, and we would hear from women sometimes they've actually moved a couple of times around the country, very often to the opposite side of the country or the other end of the country from where their friends and family live. And that's so sad because, you know, and those women sometimes will be, in terms of the way financial abuse manifests itself, sometimes it is, there might be a really fancy car sitting in the drive, but she doesn't have the keys because he takes them every day. There might be, you know, she might just get a fiver for petrol, but even incredibly small amounts of money just to be able to take the kids to school and back. So it's all of that, those controlling things that really impact. You and I spoke before about after we did an interview, um, after Nora Casey's amazing interview on The Late Late Show, and then we spoke to her in a very powerful interview that she did for The Lifestyle Show, talking about her experience and the increase in calls that you had after somebody yes. who people perceived to be very powerful, very talented businesswoman, an entrepreneur, a publishing guru, the effect that that had. Yeah, I think that I think the the real power of Nora coming out and talking about her experience was that she was held in such high esteem that she's seen as being very successful. And people have this. I mean, like all of us carry prejudices and and misconceptions. And sometimes it's only when when that's challenged that you realise, oh, that's actually I've been thinking about it a little bit differently. So very often, you know, people would talk about things and, and they have this impression that women are weak, that they're passive, that they're, they're locked at home, that they're, they, they're, they're not very good at achieving anything or there's something really defective almost about them. But the reality is 
domestic abuse, violence against women happens to women everywhere, regardless of what their background is, regardless how successful, how successful they are. So I think Nora coming out kind of embodied that and gave that message out to so many women. And um, what we saw was a huge spike. You know, what we have now with the, one of the things about modern technology is that you can actually t see the increase in calls at a particular point in time. And there's nothing more powerful than women talking and talking in the public domain and other women hearing that and breaking down that loneliness and that isolation and helping them understand really what's happening to them. I think one of the most distressing things really is there's a statistic that came out, <coughs> excuse me, in 2005 to show that there was uh, a third of victims never tell anyone. And that means they don't tell their best friend, they don't tell um, their, their you know, close friends Ever. around them, our family. So I think it's really, really important to realise that there is help there and the benefit of, of a helpline like ours, it's completely anonymous. Your telephone number is not going to show up. It's completely confidential. You can talk about exactly what's going on. Some of the things, for example, in sexual abuse, some of those can be very humiliating, very distressing. And even women who maybe share some of the experience they have, <coughs> excuse me, they, with their friends and family, they mightn't go as deeply into it as they can with an organisation like us. In a country small like Ireland, you've said how many calls are coming through to you, but how many of us are suffering from abuse? Well, we have statistics that show about one in five women experience abuse, so it's, it's extremely prevalent. I mean, there has been research done over a number of years, but that really doesn't change. Um, and that's at some point in women's lives. And so it is, it is something. And I think the other thing to understand is that very often a woman, it will have happened to them at some point in their life. They have left the relationship, but unfortunately their partner hasn't allowed them to leave the abuse. He continues to text them. He continues to harass them. If they have children, there has to be contact through access, etc. So a woman could have left the relationship for 10 years, but that ongoing contact um, can be really very difficult. And we don't have systems in Ireland to actually effectively deal with that. One of the key points that Nora made was the first and most terrifying step is to come forward, is yeah. to break the silence. Yeah. What do you advise people for anybody listening who is going through it or knows somebody who is? Well, I think sometimes that can be a big step. You know, so I think one of the things that I suppose one of the advantages of, of technology is what we see is we see a much higher volume of, of users for our website. So on our website, our website is designed really to help women wherever they're at. So if they need help immediately, if they want to look at other women's stories, I think sometimes just going into that, seeing what's happening for other women in a sense that that can sometimes be a good first step then may, may be coming to a point where they where they will ring the helpline. And, um, uh, you know, very often, as I said, women will, will say to us that they have rung a couple of times that they didn't speak or that they were very upset, and then they start to talk. And in that first conversation, an awful lot can be said, and it can be tiring. And it can be much more about talking about what's happened. And then there's a process, really, about thinking about maybe what information you need, what's the next step. And we would support women completely all the way through that. And if she finds it a bit confusing, if we talk about legal orders, she can always ring back. 
um, so that she's checking all the time because you, there's so much that's going on and for an awful lot of women the, the kind of drip feed abuse that you get over the years being put down all the time being insulted all the time women some women they're never called by their name you know there's all sorts of weird and horrific things that happen there are women who there's no locks on the bathroom door they never get any privacy so all of those things like it's it's the accumulation sometimes of all of those things if you take them apart they look quite small but for women's lives it can have a huge effect so you know it can be a slow process people sometimes jump in and say well why doesn't she just leave mm. and, you know and there's loads of reasons why women don't leave and there's lots of women who do really leave women can be in a situation where they're very trapped where you know women have there's a woman who put it very bluntly to us at one point and said you're asking me to choose between homelessness and hospitalization so you know that's a that's a really difficult place for anybody to be in especially looking from the outside yeah yeah you have a lot of um, areas that you highlight such as safety first those yeah. things. can you tell us a bit about that right there's some basic things that you know if if you think you're going to be assaulted not being in the kitchen where there's a lot of knives, not being around where there's a lot of hard surfaces, not being in a place where you're, you know, you're, you don't go to the side of the room where you're going away from the door. You know, all of those things. I remember when I started first, it was funny in one way. I, was, I rang up the guards and I was talking to them and saying, you know, we, we were trying to give women really good advice about how you protect yourselves. And they were saying, yeah, you know, and they were telling, and I was saying, I don't mean about orders. I'm talking about when you are know you're going to be attacked. And I said, can you give us some advice in terms of, you know, because I don't know this, um, what we might be able to, to be saying. And they, were, and they were going, I said, but do you not get this kind of training? Because yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they do get this kind of training. But I couldn't get it out of them. But it is those things that we then hear from other women, you know, that, that women do learn, unfortunately, sometimes the hard way. But it is about... You know, it's about it's about planning. You know that that okay, if you go down to the court and you don't get an order, because a lot of these things people will say it's very easy to get a, a barring order. It's very easy to get a safety order. It's not, and judges can make different judgments on different days. We can have two workers going in with women who have very similar sort of situations, and the outcomes will be different. So we would be planning with them. If you get this, you know what what is the next step what's the next step after that and we would you know we'd s maybe go away with a cup of tea with them etc and and give them a bit of time to think that through and equally then if you don't get it because now you have up to the ante you know it's it you've gone through with a legal process and all of those points like that's the thing about separation that people don't understand that separation is the most dangerous time but the, even the times before that when you look for an order all of those are escalating risk absolutely you're so angering you, yeah. somebody you're yeah. annoying those practical tips that you yeah. went and asked the guards for that, that was genius that we've all seen the movies we've seen the tv shows where people squirrel away money or squirrel away belongings yeah. you give those tips don't yeah. you day yeah. to day yeah yeah in terms of of and i think for a lot of women I think people don't necessarily understand this, but for a lot of women, they know they're trapped. You know, they know they maybe have very small children. I mean, I think one of the things that people find very distressing is that, that for women who are severely abused, a quarter of them, that happened first when they're pregnant. And very often, the, the, you know, I think it's quite astonishing to realize that that's actually a time when you think, you know, this is a time when there's a celebration a positive 
and it's a time when women, and I think it's to do with two things, my own theory, I don't really know, is that A, that they're more vulnerable, they're more attached in the relationship, so they're more likely to stay in the relationship, because suddenly, how do you leave this person if you're going to have a child with them, and it becomes more complicated, but also for an awful lot of men, they're really only interested in themselves, and suddenly, there's all this attention on him, on you know, moving away from him and on her. It's just so disturbing. I'm we know, no, we, I'm all, sorry. <laughs> we all know this is re- reality yeah. and this is life and it's important that we're talking about it. And we all know wonderful men. We, mm. we're, oh, absolutely. Is, but yeah. who are these men? Who are these well, men doing these things? These men are significant numbers because we know if one in five women are experiencing abuse, there's, there's one in five men roughly. The other thing we would know from our work in women's aid is that sometimes when a woman leaves a relationship, the, 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 that he will have gone on and you know started a new relationship and have children, and um, so you know there's a lot of serial abuse. What we have to get better at is to have a focus on those men and to be able to identify those those men. They are men in the same way that women who experience domestic violence are from all walks of life. Men who are, who unfortunately are abusive. There's lots of men who aren't, but they are coming from all walks of life. There is an image sometimes that it's going to be somebody from certain cultures, that it might be a very patriarchal culture. There are men who are, may seem as being very liberal, very progressive, very cultured, very well educated. And they are seriously abusive and physically can be very abusive and sexually very abusive. And I think that's, it, it. you know, the. Those stereotyping things, our brains are set up like that. So we really need to try and and bring that out into the open much more about what it is. So one of the things we've been doing more recently is we have a campaign called Two Into You for younger women. Because I suppose for us, it's so sad when you hear from a woman who's in her 60s or 70s or 80s and has been living with abuse for 20 or 30 or 40 years. So we you know, decided as an organisation we'd have a campaign that would target younger women at that earlier stage of a relationship, identify some of the behaviours and, you know, and help them to identify those behaviours before they get too deep into the relationship, before they buy property together, before they have children together. Because all of those things make it more difficult and you know, when you want to get out. So, you know, this year, for example, we have a Two Into You campaign. We have seven um, posters with these kind of cartoon characters. And it is, for example, Triple Text Thomas. So it's somebody who's forever texting you. So you're going out with your friends. Tonight, there's a lot of women here. A lot of women will, go, will, will enjoy each other's company. They might go out every Friday. They might go out on whatever it is. But he's texting, who are you with? What time are you coming back? Who's with you? You know, it's it's a lot of surveillance contact with your friends that's trying to disrupt that. You've created a very good way to look at that, haven't you? On twointerview.ie, yeah. tell us about that quiz. Well, we have on our website, and it's a separate website because I suppose we thought that maybe a lot of younger women won't think that women's aid is relevant to them because they will have images of this happens to other women, women who have children, older women, etc. So our Two Into You website has it has a number of things. It has a relationship um, check. So you're looking at behaviours, healthy and un- unhealthy behaviours. And that's really, really popular. And then uh, the, there's also case histories of young women, women who've been in college, who are essentially being stalked after they've been left they've left relationships a long time ago, or they're in a relationship and, and what's happened, 
you know, the whole thing with social media, how that can be used to abuse women as well. So there's a lot of information there. And then there's also information on what to do if you are being abused digitally. You know, some, some, some again, some tips and links to our website and to our helpline. And just to encourage women to feel if they want to contact us that we're here. We're here 24-7. We, just to say as well that one of the things that I'm very pleased about is for the last number of years, we've had a language line, which means that if a woman, if English is not your first language, that, because it's so hard to talk about something like this. So if you can't talk about it in your mother tongue, you know, it's, it makes it even harder. So within less than a minute, we can have um, an interpreter. They're in, all based in the UK, so they're outside the country in terms of language communities, it, in terms of safety and confidentiality. That's really important. So there's 170 languages. And I'm always amazed when I see the list of languages because some of them I think, is that a flower? Is that a dish? <laughs> yeah. Is that a language? Like some of them are so wonderful, wonderful that strange that. and unusual. Yeah. Finally, Margaret, before we let you go, what are you hoping for in the next year? Oh, I just said that. I never want to hear, why doesn't she just leave? <laughs> is it really, does it really come up that much? Does oh, it's the first question. Like, that's the first question, that stupid woman, why doesn't she just leave? You know, and the victim blaming. I would be such a happy woman if I could start to see a big change in that. And how can we do it? I think it's about, if you, if you find that you, you kind of think, oh, well, why doesn't she, you know, because, I mean, that's, to some extent, you're trying to make sense sometimes of something. Is just go onto our website, have a look, talk to people. And the more you understand really what the reality is, because there's, there's so much that's hidden. And I think when you read a lot of the stories, you realize it's actually a far more complicated. And as well as that, it's also far more dangerous. So starting to understand those things. And then just thinking about maybe there's somebody you know. So, you know, and if you are worried about somebody, you know, it doesn't have to be a big thing of saying, oh, I'm really worried about you. It can be just saying, look, you know, I just noticed you don't seem in good form. Would you like to go to lunch? It, you, it's about showing affection, showing respect. If you think of what abuse is, I think it's important to show the opposite to that, show care. That is a really good point. And just before we let you go, if we do notice something, we don't know the person that well. I mean, you're saying one in six. We all know one somebody in five, One yeah. in five. Yeah. One in five. So what should we do? If we notice something, we don't know the person that well, what do we do? I think if you're worried about somebody, it's, I mean, you need, it's a hard one sometimes to, to read, and that's why it's not simple. If, you're, if you want to ring Women's Aid and talk about it, that's one of the things you can do. Um, but also you can just say to somebody, you know, you look a bit down, I'm going for a coffee, would you like me to? You know, just some small thing that helps build a relationship. So if, if you see a woman and you're worried about her and she's a neighbour and she has children, a lot of the things that you can do if you have a friend as well are very practical. You can mind her kids while she goes to court. You, because a lot of women, they're caught in this lifestyle where they have this window of opportunity. Like our busiest time is between five and six. And there's pockets of the day when, when we're busier. And I think that's just classic of what happens to women. They have little windows of opportunity to do things. So their life is very time-bound very much. And if you think of the control that happens in abuse, so anything that extends and builds relationships for somebody and is a positive in a genuine way, you know, just about listening to them and getting to know somebody can really make a difference. Margaret, thank you so much. Your advice is invaluable. Margaret Martin.
Our next guest gave up a roller coaster career in the music industry to bring mindfulness to the core of her working life. She went back to college and qualified as a psychotherapist, but she didn't stop there. She is also a certified life coach, a mediator specializing in family mediation, a master practitioner in neurolinguistic programming, and she has a diploma in mindfulness. She's currently editing her first book with Gil Books entitled Burnout, and she's working on a documentary. Not surprisingly, she describes herself as a wellness warrior. Please welcome Siobhan Murray, everyone. So, so Siobhan, no doubt you've lots of free time. And oh. uh, <laughs> yeah, but tell us about the journey you took to become this wellness warrior. And you started out in the music industry working with MCD, a pretty stressful environment, I imagine, to say the least. Oh, to say the least. God, that was back in my 20s. And uh, that was that was an interesting journey. Uh, roller coaster, not something that I actually created, but I lived. Uh, lots of drink, partying. Um, and I suppose something that you can do a lot in your 20s, but it's not something that's sustainable. It's not something that you can build a family around, especially, interestingly enough, as a woman. You'll even now see the most of the successful people in the music industry of that level will all be men won't be women because once you're not going out on the road anymore you are relegated back into the family home and giving it up but it was amazing it was it was such an interesting lifestyle and took me from Dublin over to London and from London I worked there for about 10 years I worked for record companies I worked for Elton John I the party just didn't stop but I came home, and um, when I came home, there was a very different outlook to the music industry, so I changed careers. And I set up the Ronald McDonald Children's Charity um, and worked in the McDonald's head office to raise the money to build the Ronald House that's in Crumlin Hospital, um, which was amazing, and that was corporate but also a little bit of flexibility, kind of bringing in my own hours. I was my own boss. It was it was great. And rewarding, I imagine. Oh, I got to visit many, many Ronald houses around the world. I got to visit many pediatric hospitals. I saw things that I would never have seen. And at that time, I didn't have children. I had no idea of the things that happened to children and, and, and the amazing work that is done and also the amazing work that's actually done by that, that company. But after three years, the house was built, and I'm now kind of going, what will I do now? So McDonald's gave me a job that hadn't been there before, which was head of communications. So now I'm corporate. I've gone from 24-hour whirlwind of music industry. I've come back. I've set up this fabulous charity. I've seen it come to fruition, and now I'm corporate. <sighs> which was very, very different. I had deadlines, I was accountable, I was working within a team. It was very, very different. And you're constantly planning and you stop living in the moment. Um, I was also, and, I, and I've alluded to this before, I've, I was drinking um, what I thought at the time was quite moderately, but again, in hindsight, it was daily, every single day. So I was working time keeping this job um drinking every day and keeping it all going so, somehow somehow yeah. somehow well I, again i thought i was keeping it all going it was it was at that point that i met uh my children's father 
Um, I have two gorgeous boys, one whose birthday is today. Oh, Charlie. Charlie, yes, yes. Um, So I'm celebrating International Women's Day knowing that on this fabulous day, that's what I did 11 years ago. Yay! Yay! So now, in a very, and I have two boys, they're 18 months apart, and within a very, very short period of time, I was um, a, a single mum, I've always been a single mum, and I had this corporate job, travelled a lot, a lot of deadlines, working continually in the 6 to 12 month ahead of everything, getting the kids to crash, picking them up, feeding them, keeping it all together, and drinking, and functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to see my friends and trying to go to the gym and and not taking anything out of my pot of life, but just kept adding these massive big things in like children and big job and, you know, friends and and mortgage and car and and having to have the car that was ridiculously expensive to pay back every month. But it went with the lifestyle of it all looking right. And what went enough? I suppose for me, it was the reality that I didn't have that support network in order to do it. And I was picking the children up at six o'clock in the evening. I was having my glass of wine, getting them ready, putting them to bed, getting up and doing the next thing. And it was over and over and over again. So it was at that point, after I had my second son, I was on maternity leave went back and and it was just not going to work. There was too much travel involved. So I had to make that decision, um, which I did, which was to leave. And I set, I bought a franchise, which was a a great initiative at the time. And and I had hoped it would be brilliant. Um, So I taught completely different um, baby sign language. And uh, the two boys still remember it. It never took off in this country. So here I am now juggling, going from the great corporate finances to not an awful lot. And it was that point, it was coming into September, and I thought, here I am going into another winter. What am I going to do? I'll do a night course. And I did a degree. Um, I did the diploma first in, in psychotherapy and went on to do my degree. Um, I started my own practice, um, went on to do mindfulness um, and with the neuro-linguistic programming and for those that don't know it the part of the neuro-linguistic programming that I love is that we can actually take responsibility and change the behaviors that we have and reprogram so it's an awful lot about the power of our language when we say to ourselves I can't do something your body takes that on board and goes all right I can't do that and what I love is your interpretation of this year's theme for International Women's Day is press for progress. Mm. So your interpretation is, it reminds me a little bit, and correct me if I'm wrong, you have Sheryl Sandberg's lean in, Mm -hmm. but also we can't have everything, we need to choose. So your message is coming into this. Yeah, mine is very much the the, the negotiables versus your non-negotiables. So, and I talked about it with my pot, my, my huge big pot of stuff. And I'm a very visual person and, you know, there's, we have so much going in that uh, we need to take a step back and go, what can I take out of this? What can I actually, what's not needed in my life that I can take out quite happily, let go, so I can focus on what is non-negotiable? For me, my non-negotiables are the two kids. 
Other than that, the big car, that's a definite negotiable. Um, it is gym memberships. It is where I shop. It's what I do. They're all negotiables. Non-negotiables for me are just two small people. Yeah. That's it. It makes, it makes it sound very simple, but it takes work to get there. You have skills and you have things that you've learned over the years that you can maybe share some of them with us. Absolutely. I mean, one of the ones um, that I, I love, and it's, I suppose I, I incorporate it a lot with, within, I use the word toxic relationships, and toxic relationships is quite strong, but we can have toxic relationships with parents, with cousins, siblings, adult siblings, grandparents, work colleagues, friends that we've had since we've been four, that we feel the need to keep friends with. When those calls, texts come in, I don't answer them when I'm in my own house. I, if they are a call or a text from somebody that goes into that, that, that pocket of people, I will acknowledge that it's there, but I will make myself go outside to reply. So if it's lashing rain or snowing, um, or gale force winds or any of those fabulous things, I will have to put my hat and coat on. I will have to stop doing whatever it is that I'm doing to go outside. Now I'm in a state of responding versus reacting. So where I may have got sucked into the toxicness of, and generally I think a lot of people will find those calls or texts that come in from whether it's work, family, extended family, nobody is calling you to go, how are you? They're not the calls that are coming in. It is always somebody either wanting something from you or complaining that you get sucked into. So take that step back and, and take that phone call outside. Because I'm going to ask you about the challenges that women face in particular and also how we should overcome them, like that tip. If you could just summarise them into a couple of keys. <laughs> That'd be really good. Let me get all these pieces of paper. Um, I think one of the things that, that I was... Looking at today, and I look at the progress that women have made since the 1970s, just the 1970s, and I know the focus is very much in the last, the last year, but when we think that in the 1970s, if you got married, you were working in the bank and the civil service and... and or a nurse, as I often heard my mum telling me. Is <laughs> that you, you had to stop working. And we have actually made some incredible headways. But we're also, by our DNA, we're nurturers. We are providers. Whether we have children or we don't, it is in us to be giving. So now we're out there, we're, we're working. Some of us, because we have to, because we ha a lot of families need two incomes to come in, to live in the world that we live in and to live in the houses that we want to in the cities without having to commute. But we're doing all of this work. But by and large, our DNA still has us in that nurturing element. So now we're double jobbing. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. And because of that, because of that double jobbing, I mean, I believe it's still, women actually still do 40% of the housework, even as working women. 40%. <laughs> but I think what's, what, where, where, the, where we fall down is we don't actually learn to be kind to ourselves. We don't learn to take that step back. We're not, we're, we're all like, we're grand, we're grand. I'm fine, I'm fine, that's okay. Totally fine, yeah. I can do this, yeah. I can do yeah. it all. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, as a culture, know how to say no. So we will take on everything that other people ask us, that the family ask us, that can you do the shopping, can, 
you go and visit Great Auntie Maud and, and all of those things. We don't have that ability just to go because, no, because we're scared that we're going to hurt somebody else or... Or, or come across that we're not doing it right or we're not doing enough or we're failing at yes. something. Yeah, and failure is another fabulous word. It's, again, and, and I talk an awful lot about the power of our language. You know, when we say failing, what is failure? Failure is only a perception of how we achieve something on any given day. So if you're in a bad humour or if you're feeling tired or you haven't found the car parking space that you wanted, something happens that day and you treat it as a failure. Whereas you've had a great day and you got the car parking space and you won 10 euro uh, that you found in a jeans pocket that you'd lost and suddenly the dinner that you burnt, you don't see as a failure. So failure is just a perception of how we are on any given day. What is failure? Do you know, Siobhan, this was one of the reasons that we wanted to start this event and start this series on International Women's Day is because the older that we get as women, I think, we look around and the more we see women doing, the more we see how amazing women are, empathy, working hard, juggling all these balls in the air. Every single woman, even in this room sitting down, if you turned to each other and spoke to each other, you'd be amazed at what each of you are doing, yet we're really hard on ourselves. Absolutely. How do we do this thing, the turnaround and start taking more time for ourselves, not feeling guilty, saying no to certain things, saying yes to the right things? How do we do it? Please, help. <laughs> well, one of the things that I try to get people to, to incorporate into their life is mindfulness. And I know it's a big buzzword. And, and I'm a busy person. And I would love to... I actually was joking earlier about this. I have, over Christmas, bought a beautiful Buddha. And it's sitting... And I've made a lovely, lovely, gorgeous little area. And I look at it and I walk past it and I walk past it again and I walk past it. <laughs> and eventually, at some point in my life, I will stop and sit with the Buddha. <laughs> and I will be zenning with the Buddha. Till then, my mindfulness has to come to me and come with me. So I have what I call a purple alien. And, and I use this analogy because everybody can find something to, to grasp. So if I'm going for a walk or if I'm in the car, I don't press the speaker to hands-free so I can call somebody. I stop, I turn the radio off. Don't do it all the time. But I describe in my head to my purple alien everything that I see on my journey. So whether it's a five-minute walk, I take the earphones out, the phone is on silent, on airplane mode in my pocket, and I connect. Because if I'm walking down the road and I'm describing what I can see here, all these beautiful people and there's costumes at the end of the room and there's great posters, and I can describe all of that, I can't be thinking about what I'm going to cook for dinner, what bills I have to pay, all the other stresses that come in. It's only five minutes. I'm not going to get rid of the stresses. They're still there. All I'm going to do is learn how to manage them. And you do this in your head, not out loud. Not out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Otherwise, you should probably keep the earphones in. Yeah. (laughs) Make it look like you're on a call. But isn't that brilliant? Like a simple little tip of walking along. Yeah. With your, in your head yeah. and it's, it's switching up because I, I hear time and time again people saying oh yeah mindfulness that's great that's lovely but I don't have time I don't have time but you can incorporate these day absolutely it's, it's really easy to say oh okay I won't watch five episodes of something on Netflix <laughs> yeah. 
It's really good. The, uh, Dr. Martin Newman, who we interviewed at the Pendulum Summit, one of the key points he made, because women, I think we embrace mindfulness perhaps faster and quicker than some men. But he said, if men or anyone was offered a tablet that was going to reduce all of the negative effects of any heart disease or was going to get rid of migraine, was going to make you wealthier, make your relationships better, your sex life better, your parenting better, your career better, mm-hmm. would you take that pill? And it's free. Everyone say yes. Mm. Well, the pill is called mindfulness. Mm. So men might take it if we pitch it to them that way. Yeah. Yeah. So. And interestingly that you, you, you say that about mindfulness because gratitude is another tool that I would use and I use it daily. Um, and it is, there is scientific backing of, of gratitude. It's again, very difficult to be in a state of poor me if you are in a state of gratitude. And gratitude is not about the wealth that we have. The gratitude, tonight when I go home, my gratitude will be I got to sit here in this room with all these incredible people on a platform with such amazing women talking about such amazing things and men in the audience listening to it as well. What a fabulous thing to be grateful for. So every night I I say three things I'm grateful for and every morning I say three things I'm grateful for before they've happened. So I'm grateful for the day that I'm going to have. And there are scientific results behind this. Again, it doesn't cost anything. Tony Robbins starts his day every morning with a 10-minute uh, list of visualization for the day ahead and gratitude. And if it works for that multimillionaire, I think uh, it's a good enough tip. And if it works for you, and Chuan, definitely one of my things would be gra- gratitude that you did come and talk to us all. I think it's really been amazing talking to you. Our final guest today is an actor, comedian and entertainer and she first burst onto our TV screens with a dizzy array of characters. She played on Ortiz, Wonder Woman and Working Girls. Alongside her success in front of the camera, she is also an executive producer and co-founder of Wacker Productions, which made the comedy The Centre and the documentaries We Need to Talk About Dad and We Won the Lotto. Very successful. Last year was a very busy one for her. She joined the first series of Dancing with the Stars, took part in Celebrity Operation Transformation and also starred as Miss Hannigan in the musical Annie. Please welcome Catherine Lynn. <laughs> Thank you girls. I'm also a functioning alcoholic. I have no children and I'm not married and today I'm delighted. <laughs> uh, I think your introduction is better than mine. But, um, so Catherine, the, the International Women's Day, the theme is this year, as you know, is Press for Progress. And um, how do you feel about being a woman in Ireland today? I know you just told us that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I actually think that um, in my industry in comedy that we are coming on leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. We always had a great kind of um, history in Ireland of comedians. Um, uh, uh, We've had uh, like Maureen Potter. My God, look at like, you know, Maureen probably got the vote 100 years ago. She could be here today just celebrating it. And we've got... You know, Twink, we've Rosaline Lenehan, we've Deirdre Kane, we've got now we've got Lisa McGee, uh, the Derry Girls, and Alison Spittle, Jennifer, Stephanie Preisner, Sharon Horgan, Eleanor T- Tiernan. All these women are just absolutely fantastic. And prior to this, we had when you talked about Irish comedy, you just thought of Father Ted, Graham Linehan, and maybe a few of the lads. So give a round of applause for all those girls coming all up. The girls. What 
I am a tiny bit scared about is that it might become less fearless. You know, I don't want um, comedy to actually, you know, become a little tamer because they have to keep it fearless and they have to keep it truthful and they have to definitely wear knickers. Uh, <laughs> as the people they're going to meet on the way up the ladder, they might be checking. <laughs> So girls, wear knickers. <laughs> but do you know what? On, on, on a serious note, you do need to keep that fearlessness about you. I thought you said. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, no, I'm keep my mum's over there. <laughs> no, everyone go commando. Nobody will see. <laughs> Tom's eyes are yeah. Okay. Um, oh, well. So, but true though, isn't it, Catherine? I mean, you listen. You have come in. You've broken through the ceiling and different. Uh, times you have stood up and I know you laugh about it and joke about it, but it is serious where you have been pioneering. I have, have I hope that people recognise that I was representing Cuspa Society women. You know, I had Sheila Sheik, who was like yes. the Dublin lady who was trying to survive. And then I had the traveller woman uh, singing Bernie Walsh, who I performed from such a place of love. And, you know, I got stick for that from people coming up to me saying it was a bit political, politically incorrect. But I had traveller women and traveller men coming up to me telling me that they loved it, you know, and that's what mattered to me most. I didn't care about the rest, you know, and I didn't stereotype her. She she wasn't married. She wasn't living at home. She was on the road. She had a career, you know, and she had a very good one at that. <laughs> and she stood by her van, not her man. <laughs> I think there are a few fans in this room who definitely know her. Um, but I mean, how do you think that women fare in the wider sense? So are we in a better place, really? Has definitely the world not. We're not in a better place as women globally. We might be in a better place in Ireland. And but after hearing Margaret, today I just like think that that's 44 women a, a day ringing is very sad to hear mm -hmm. and th this um, International Women's Day was first held in New York in 1909 and they figured it would take a hundred years for global equality and now they reckon it's going to be 200 years so we're not going to see it there's 650 million alive women today who are child brides imagine globally and there's like one in five girls are married before they are 18 you know, so this poverty is so violent acro across the world. And these kids, like Margaret talked about, are Irish women. They're the, these women, they're going to grow up to women. They're invisible. They're disposable. They've no say in their lives. Their own mothers haven't a say in their lives. And education is not going to happen to them for a long time. Because you know what? These fundamentalists, the biggest fear they have is an educated woman. And, you know, they're gonna, they don't want to see books in these kids' hands. They don't want to see girls get an education. So if we can scatter uh, a little skim a little stone across the international, the global uh, pond and make a difference there. I don't know how we're going to do it, but let's try, you know. By talking. Yeah. By talking. <laughs> By talking and educating and spreading yeah. the word and empowering. And Catherine, you, you know, you're doing this in your day-to-day. -day. A lot of people wouldn't see that. They see the comedy. They see, if they're lucky, the businesswoman side of you. They see the producer. But behind this, we might go back a little bit, actually. So at, a, at heart, you're a country girl. At heart, I am a country girl. Absolutely. I was raised with praise in a small little town called Mohill County Leitrim. I was so lucky. It was full of fantastic women, my mother being one of them, and her, her, uh, her friends. And they worked together in a small community. They were the women in my time who um, washed the jerseys. They made the tea for the footballers. And now 
the, the people they educated through their example are girls playing the football. They're girls lifting the cups. There's girls training the football teams. And equality has happened in, in a lot of areas in sport in Ireland, which we should be so proud of as well. Like, you know, yeah. it's true. I think it is true they could do with more support on the field and more support off the field. But well, a good bra is all they need. <laughs> <laughs> For God's sake, I'm sure O'Neill's will do a good bra, won't they? Undies to bras, not thing. I thought a sentence I thought I'd be putting together. Um, but, but growing up in Mohill, do, do you think that it was easier, uh, you know, than growing up in a big city or a big suburb? Or, and, uh, you know, as the, as the Nelson Mandela quote goes, it, it uh, takes a village to raise a child. Did yeah. you have that sense of that? Um, I think I was raised by my village for sure, absolutely. And it's very hard in a way because you become such a part of a community. I can imagine a girl in Africa uh, feels the same way about her village as I feel about mine. Because you're saying goodbye to your elders, you're saying goodbye to the wonderful people who have educated you. Like, they haven't handed you books or anything, but they've taught you how to live um, compassionately. They've taught, you how to, they've taught you how to respect death. They've taught you how to respect life. They've taught you, like, uh, also the Valley of the Squinting Window is a hard place, but it's also a good place because people don't get away with as much. I'm sure, like, a lot more abuse happens in, in cities, in a way, you know. So, um, yeah, I think it was a really, really, really great place to grow up. Catherine, I can't, I don't think we can, given the year that was in it and the anniversary recently, we can't not mention your very famous ancestor. I wonder what he would think of the progress that we've made. Patrick Havanagh. Yes. Oh, poor Patrick. I'd say he was a total chauvinist. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, he, he couldn't have been when you when you uh, when, <laughs> that beautiful poem in memory of my mother. Yes. What a poem! Yes, and anyone to have that beautiful respect for their mother. It makes me cry every time I read it. Um, True. Yeah, and he my great-grandmother was a wonderful strong woman and my grandmother was the first woman to have a car in Longford and uh, yeah and she was a feisty coming on man woman and she had, was in the ICA and the whole lot and she was hilarious fun and my mother is a very strong woman and my sister and my niece and nephew so long may that survive but it only takes one really bad situation in, a, in your emotional life or in a bad marriage or something like that to rock you like so it's it's very important to to surround yourself with the strength of other strong women and you, you know. did that then when you moved up from i know this feels like this is your life yeah. isn't it you <laughs> but you did that when you moved from the country moved from Eastern up to dublin yeah. You found yourself in a very special circle. Well, all my girls turned out to be called Panty Veda, <laughs> Shirley, <laughs> Dolly, Dizzy. <laughs> Who were these wonderful women? They were wonderful women. So they were. Uh, when they were in their costumes, they were women. When they were out of their costumes, they were great friends too. Well, I think I prefer them in their costumes. <laughs> yeah, no, when I came to Dublin, I actually uh, got very involved. I started working in this little cafe called uh, Small Talk Cafe. And in Small Talk Cafe, there was, I was only thinking Brendan Courtney was in it all the time. I'm looking at the lovely women around here that he's always praising like Nellie Mulcahy and then there's Sybil Connolly all up on the walls here. We should describe that yeah. so that we're in the Little Museum of Dublin as we said at the beginning and we're all surrounded by this beautiful exhibition of Irish design that's on the walls the history yeah. of it so that's what you're history. referring to. Yeah and uh, so yeah, so when I came up to Dublin, I, I think I was addicted to communities to a certain extent. And uh, I got into the gay community and I was spoilt rotten, so I was, because uh, they, 
they thought I was camp, which is a wonderful <laughs> word, and I love being called camp. So they, um, there was a, a show called Alternative Miss Ireland, and it was normally reserved for drag queens. So the lads had 50 euro sponsors, uh, 50 pounds at the time. 20 years ago, actually, this year, I won Alternative Miss Ireland. But uh, <laughs> 20 years, why are you all laughing? <laughs> I know it was funny to see a 10 year old. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so yeah so we had 50 pounds and we got um gingham and all sorts of red and white costumes in oxfams and we dressed me up as tampy lillette <laughs> i remember this a periodically obsessed country and western star and if i wasn't before my time now there you go 20 years ago so they pushed me out on stage and uh, the judges, one of them, Jew, uh, um, Louis Walsh, didn't know whether I was a man or a woman. <laughs> and Louis said, that's definitely a man I'd know by his hands. <laughs> Which I've never forgiven for him. For <laughs> Somebody slapped me, I'm hysterical. But <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I won. And then I didn't know what to do. Oh, my God, there's 2,500 people screaming my name. So it catapulted me into the gay scene. And I was surrounded by beautiful gay men who really gave me a chance. Like, um, they, I had a residency then for five years in Gubu, which is now Pantybar, where it was just absolutely amazing. And I was just very lucky not to... I suppose I was very lucky that they were all beautiful gay men who loved women. And, um, yeah. I, was, I didn't ever experience misogyny. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, and wonderful. I think, you know, it says a lot about the country, doesn't it, as yeah. well um, as the city. But you, one thing that did find, you did find difficult then, you know, you talked about the wonderful women who went ahead of you, you know, yeah. our heroes from, from back in the day, but they didn't have online. They didn't have social. They didn't have trolling. They didn't have social media yeah. in their face as they were performing. You came face to face. You were in the generation who came in and yeah. all of this was accountable. All of this was in your face. It wasn't over the garden fence. It was in your face. Yeah, it was terrible, actually. Twitter was very much a cesspit at the time. It probably still is for some people, but I ignore it now. But there were horrible things to read on Twitter about yourself. And then you, you Googled yourself, which is wrong. You, you know, look, looked at the tweets and all that. But it was the first time that the ordinary Joe Soap could come in on a, on a celebrity. And I was only a new celebrity. I didn't even know what it meant. I still don't. But, uh, like, yeah, so you, you'd read these horrible things about yourself, which I definitely wasn't used to after explaining my lovely background, you know. So it did break my heart to see that and probably put me away from comedy for a while and was it because you were a woman yes a lot of them were get that unfunny uh, see you next tuesday off the telly like really horrible stuff and then i at one stage my lovely gay uh, friend now um warren who's also my business partner and who wrote tampulalette with me <laughs> still 20 years later we're still here and uh, he said just have a look at who they are catherine for god's sake and then i check and they were normally uh, Liverpool or Manchester, which I'm a Manchester fan, so it's not yeah. that, but it was <laughs> Liverpool or Manchester United uh, shirts, and they were, they were just <laughs> not even in my sphere of, of thinking. So then once you put them in their category, they're just keyboard warriors that are jealous at home. And somebody who's jealous of you is probably going to gather more information about you than the FBI. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> that was my way out of it eventually. It was like, 
Yeah. Well, Warren is clearly a true friend, yeah. I think, because you went on anyway, the two of you then, yeah. to create Waka Productions. Waka Productions. Tell us a bit about that. It's well, brilliant behind every great woman, there's a great man. And I do have to <laughs> praise Warren. Warren keeps Waka afloat and wonderful producers uh, like Marion Cullen that come in and work on the shows. So I am just so privileged to uh, be one of the executive producers of a company that is very progressive. We've done shows like Scorchio. We've done my shows, which were quite cutting edge and cusp. We've done, um, Brenda Courtney has come and joined us and, and made the wonderful documentary about his father and is due to maybe make one about his mom now, you know. And all the, and change legislation, I have to add. It was very Brendan poignant. Did. Yeah. Every, we saw that programme. Yes, yeah. a lot of nodding heads, yeah. And we've made a lot of things. We're, we're actually making a new show called Raised by the Village and we made, we won the lotto and showed the other side of the lotto. It's not all great. You're being humble yeah. in this. Oh, I am not being hum humble. I've been 100% truthful because if the other two heard me saying, you did nothing, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> But we won the lotto, it went on. <laughs> and tell us about yeah. the ratings. Uh, the ratings were huge. They bet Dancing with the Stars, which I was really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't have bet them last year when I was on it. But <laughs> and, and also, uh, the bet the late, late. So a small. <laughs> but, but you have to thank RTE because they, they gave us the job in the first place. So ratings are, are communal out there. But um, yeah, back to Twitter, I was just thinking, yes. I was th when I was do thinking about it, and um, uh, that's like the secret producer out there, like what a coward that person is who comes in and tries to actually manipulate everyone's programs. So what Twitter is about is about a coward hind hiding behind an, ac an account. Some of the things maybe he or she says on that Twitter are right, but say it openly with her face. Don't say it behind things. I you think coward. absolutely. Yeah, you, Ryan Turbidy talking about going off smartphone onto yeah. a, a small old older phone, which he got yeah, a tip yeah. off a very bright young student from around the country who did the same thing, um, or somebody who was involved with the BT Young Scientist. What's your view on that? Do you, and, and, and that whole area of just putting it down, walking away? Um, I have no interest in putting my phone down. I love it. I 100%. <laughs> I love my WhatsApp groups. You know, my girls all came on this morning. We talked about International Women's Day. And, you know, one of the girls said, uh, true queens polish each other's crowns. You know, and, and that's how I started my day going, oh, my queens are going to polish my crown if it, if it gets rusty. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Uh, so tell me this. Your report card, does it say, we're doing okay, things are changing here on this island, but uh, let's look at uh, what's next year. In Ireland, next. what I'd yeah. like to see. I'd love to see uh, traveller women here next year. You know, I'd like to see them here with a voice. And I know they have got their ethnic minority um, past, yes. but that's not enough. I, I like, I'd like to see, you know, the, an ethnic minority status is amazing, no doubt about it. But what about the status of, oh, oh that's... Uh, Anne who works in the in the shop or that's uh, Bernie who's the professor in the local college you know so that we talk about global education we need to start at home and you know and you talk about uh, reaching out to people so if you do don't reach out with a with a big heart to traveler women because I don't know if they're in a good place you know Catherine, I think there's a couple of personal goals that you'd like to set. Absolutely. I'd love to see Botox, uh, boob jobs and liposuction <laughs> on the VHI. Free, yeah, girls! <laughs> Catherine Lynch, everybody.
we let you all go, we would like to thank Catherine McCants and her wonderful team here at the Little Museum of Dublin. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, as a special treat and to celebrate the arrival at last of spring, a big, colourful Smith's ice cream van is pulled up outside the Little Museum of Dublin and there's a 99 for everyone in the audience. <laughs> Tweet The Lifestyle Show at Lifestyle RTE.